to Restoration Basics. This is a podcast where we go over preparatory things of the gospel. Right now we are going through the Book of Mormon chapter by chapter. You're always going to find new things when you're going through the scriptures. We're no exception, whether it's the first time, the third time, or the 50th time. We're finding that now as we're going through. I am Samuel Jordison, one of your hosts. I'm joined with two others. We call ourselves the Grandsons of Helaman. Um, I'll let you guys introduce yourselves. I'm Andrew Smith. And I'm Jason Kane. Last time, this is our second episode, last time we talked about First Nephi chapter 1. We're using the RLDS version and versage for those of you listening. In the first chapter last time, we talked a little bit about trust and obedience and the things that Nephi had to carry out to obey the Lord and obey his father, you know, trusting that he was working in faith and, and also the, the matters that he had come up and the events that his brothers had to follow him with. Today, we are going through chapter 2, 3, and 4. They kind of all tie in together. Guys, do you have any thoughts just about that right off the bat? Well, just to start us off in chapter 2, talks about Nephi uh, not giving the genealogy of his father because he says it's in his father's record, which if you are familiar with the Book of Mormon, you would know that we don't have a book of Lehi. So, it leaves us... To wonder if we will ever get that, but any, anyway, it's, it's kind of irrelevant. Just a reference to another book um, that we don't have at the moment. It may be a part of something to come, or maybe not. But I just thought it was interesting that it, it starts and references that. And then in verse 6, it talks about the content of the plates. He kind of gives a standard, and he says, I shall give commandment unto my seed that they shall not occupy these plates with things which are not of worth unto the children of men. And so um, at this at this time, obviously, Nephi wasn't writing directly into a book that, that we have now. He wrote in, in a uh, record that has uh, many more pages than we have, um, and then later on they were compiled into the book that we have. But still, that same standard of, of content was there, and I think that is interesting as well, as he, he knew what was important, and, and there was a purpose for the plates, and there was no room for dumb stuff in them, kind of. So. Yeah, yeah. And, and one thing we know is in, in this chapter and other chapters, Nephi has talked about there being two separate records and uh, multiple times he says that he's not going to record specific uh, events or genealogy or stuff like that because that is in his other book. And one thing, if you look into the story of the restoration and the story of Joseph Smith, we know that in the early stages of the translation of the Book of Mormon, Joseph eventually shows and lends 116 pages to a man, Martin Harris, and Martin Harris ends up losing those pages. From what we can tell, those pages contained the larger book of Nephi, and in DNC three, I think God and Joseph are talking about how now that he's lost to these pages, he can't go back and just retranslate what he had already translated. So then we have what we have today, which is considered the smaller book of Nephi. We don't really know what happens to those 116 pages, but they could have been perverted and used against the church. So in order to just avoid that completely, God basically just tells Joseph to ignore the larger book and go into the smaller book. Well, also, and we're going to get into this once we get to the words of Mormon, but Mormon talks about how in his abridging of the plates that he's told to put more plates, the original plates of Nephi, back on to his record. And he says, I don't even know why I'm doing this, but we know that God had a plan. God knew what was going to happen with Joseph and Martin Harris and 
he planned for it. So it was yeah. all. Yeah. Nephi says it too. Like in the smaller book of Nephi, he's like, I know not, I don't know the actual wording, but he says he doesn't know why he's writing these, but God has told him to do it. And so he's following that. And so, yeah, like what you said, God knew that in modern day, man would fail and he had a backup plan. And I think what we ended up with is some pretty important stuff. So moving on from those first three chap- or verses of the second chapter, uh, Jason, you want to give us a synopsis of what's happening in chapter two, three, and four, the first book of Nephi really quick. Yeah. So starting off in chapter two, uh, Nephi touches on the genealogy stuff a little bit, but then Lehi is told by God that Nephi and his brothers should go back to uh, Jerusalem to get Ishmael and his family. And once they do, Ishmael immediately pretty much agrees to go out into the wilderness with them and his family uh, because the Lord had softened their hearts. Once in the wilderness, Laman and Lemuel and the daughters of Ishmael and the sons of Ishmael and their families all rebelled against Nephi, Sam, Lehi, Ishmael, and his wife. Nephi reminds them of all the things that the Lord has done for them and that the destruction of Jerusalem must happen because the Lord had said it would. And they want to return to Jerusalem, but Nephi tells them that they will perish if they go back. The group eventually uh, gets angry with Nephi, and then they bind him up and leaves him for dead for wild beasts to feed on him. And But God helps loose the bands that bound Nephi, and then they try and attack him again. But this time, some of the family of Ishmael objected, and that helped soften uh, Laman and Lemuel's hearts. Those trying to kill Nephi are then ashamed, and they ask forgiveness. Nephi forgives them, and then they return to Lehi. And then Lehi gives um, a vision that he was given by God, and then we'll explain that later. Afterwards, Lehi tells Laman and Lemuel that he's worried for them and wants them to experience the joy of following Christ. And then in chapter 3, Nephi eventually is asking God if he can experience the same thing his father did. And the Lord gives him insights onto what happened in that dream. The extended cut of the vision. Yeah. And also goes into a lot more that we'll also get into later. And then chapter four, Nephi goes back to his brothers and warns them basically that they need to get their act together. And that's pretty much all that happens in these chapters. Well, the vision is a big, big talking point. If you were attended a Bible school at a restoration branch, chances are you probably uh, went through a year or even a, just a lesson on the, the vision of Nephi and Lehi and the interpretation Nephi had of it. But real quick, before we start off in the vision, let's talk about Ishmael and the, his faithfulness for willing to go out into the wilderness and follow Lehi's family. It's a, it doesn't say a lot about Ishmael, it just says that the Lord softened his heart and that was good enough for him and his household and they took their journey with him down into the wilderness. Nephi has a, a really cool point here in 219 that that's probably we all understand but it's just important for us to know it says and if it so be that we are faithful to him we shall obtain the land of promise and he shall know at some future period that the word of the lord shall be fulfilled concerning the destruction of the jerusalem and part of that is or part i take away from that that we can always apply to us today is you have to be faithful to receive the promise they wouldn't have gotten to see the land of promise if they hadn't been faithful in the first place. And it's the same with Lehi or Ishmael and his family. There's a, a point in here that I wanted to make when I read this again in, in 225. 
Laman and Lemuel are actually angry with Nephi, and they come up against him, and Nephi gives them the choice. He says, you can go back to Jerusalem if you want, and they respond by beating him. But what I want to focus on, and I, I never hear it talked about, is that Laman and Lemuel had the choice to go back to Jerusalem if they so wanted. And I think this points out, when they, when they don't do it, when they don't take their choice to go back, um, and they end up beating Nephi and wrapping him in cords and they're angry with him, is that they believe in the words of God and Le- and their father, Lehi, but they're still angry at God for what he's doing to them. You know, they lost all their inheritance when they gave it to Laban. They are sleeping in tents now. They're not in their home. They're away from their friends. And, and I think they believe that Jerusalem will be destroyed, but they don't like it. And sometimes in our own lives, when we ask God for an answer, sometimes we get an answer we don't want. And it's easy for us to be mad what God said, you know, or what he's commanded us to do. But Laman and Lemuel, they didn't have their hearts softened. And they went through the same trials that Nephi did. And they came away with a lot different perspective and a lot different of a blessing. Actually, it was more of a curse, right? You know, getting into, um, they come back with the daughters of Ishmael and Ishmael and his family. And their father tells them he's seen a dream. And we're going to, we're going to mostly focus on Nephi's interpretation of the dream because he tells them, he tells his sons, Hey, I had this dream, and this is what it, I saw. And then Nephi says, well, I want to know more about this dream. So he goes to the Lord. And in chapter 3, it starts out, after Lehi's done speaking to him, he wants to know what they're talking about. And in chapter 3, verse 38, his vision begins with the Spirit of the Lord taking up him to a high mountain and kind of talking about what, what happens. Well, just real quick. Before that, in, in verse 4, before Nephi sees his his vision, talks about Lehi telling them what he saw and everything, and then uh, chapter 3 starts, and then he finishes talking about the vision, but then he starts talking about Christ, and and that's from verses 2 through 4, 5, and then kind of explaining from then on. It says to me that even though this vision is important, that it's it's still, it speaks to the point that everything is to bring us closer to Christ and everything is supposed to bring us back to God. And so good things, if they are good, they will bring you to Jesus. They will point to Jesus in some way. And so this is what that vision did to Lehi and his family is that it ultimately you can say, well, I don't see Jesus in the vision. Well, you may not see him directly in the vision as a person or named, but this was this was the, the reason why this vision was given to Lehi and his family to point to Jesus. And that's why Lehi's talking about the Savior right after that. And that's why when we see Nephi's interpretation, it's scattered among references to the Savior. Well, going off of that point, I think it's so, that's so you're so right, because Nephi, he's taken up by the spirit and and onto that mountain. And he's talking to the, the spirit of the Lord. And he says, oh, well, I want to know what my father saw. And and the Spirit gives him the vision, and Nephi asks the spirit plainly in verse, I have in verse 49, he says, what does the tree represent? And if, you, if you've had any experience in the restoration or been there a while, you know that the simple answer is just the love of God, and you know, you can name all the, the attributes of the dream, and we'll get into more of what the dream was and what it means. But Nephi asks, what does the tree represent? And instead of saying the tree represents the love of God, the spirit shows him, it shows him in the city of Nazareth, Mary, and Mary birthing Jesus. And Nephi, in verse 62, he's talking, and we remember that Nephi is a Jew, right? So he's practicing the law of Moses. He's practicing this strict code, and 
having sacrifices and stuff. But he realizes what this gift of a savior is sent by. It's sent by the love of God. And that's how he gets his answer. And very plainly, he says, Yea, it is the love of God which sheddeth itself abroad in the hearts of the children of men. It's the most desirable thing above all things. And the Spirit says, Yea, and the most joyous unto the soul. And so Nephi understands that, what the tree means, by being showed Christ. Just what Lehi wrapped up when he was talking about his vision and he finishes with Christ. Yeah, I really like how it kind of, the order of what it goes into, because it does start talking about Christ. And in verse 62, He's like, and the angel said unto me, Behold, the Lamb of God, yea, even the Son of the Eternal Father. Knowest thou the meaning of the tree which thy father saw? It's like right there. It, it's not just, the well, it is the love of God. And it's expounded by showing that the pure love of God is sending his only son to die on the cross for us. It's John 3.16. It's You can just cross-reference that to John 3.16 because, yeah, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And I really like, so in section 90 of the Doctrine and Covenants, it says intelligence um, or knowledge is, is light and truth. We see here Lehi or Nephi is searching for truth. He's searching for intelligence or knowledge about uh, the interpretation of this dream. And because he's searching for that, well, he put that on pause, I guess. Look at what Jesus said he, he was. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then he's the light of the world. You see... That if you want to know something, if you want a greater understanding, then you have to know Jesus better. I mean, if you're asking God a question in your life, doesn't matter what it's about. If you want an answer, get ready to know Jesus more, uh, because uh, that's that's the way it happens. When God gives you knowledge or understanding, it comes in the form of knowing Christ better. Yeah, something that I always overlook, at least is when we talk about the rod of iron, and we haven't even really given an overview of the vision yet, but when you talk about the rod of iron, we reference it as the word of God. But at this point in history, there wasn't a whole lot of scripture. And we tend to reconcile uh, the word of God with our scriptures. And that is very true. All the scriptures have the word of God. But at this point in their lives, it's probably a much more personal relationship with him, being able to commune with God and and receiving the word of God. We're going to see it constantly throughout the vision that after the Spirit gives Nephi a new understanding of something that happened in Lehi's vision, he's going to bring it back to the Lamb of God, how he's referred to a lot through this vision in Christ. And constantly through back, I mean, we talked about, the, you just touched on the rod of iron. And in verse 68, Nephi sees that rod of iron, which his father had saw, and the spirit gives him the interpretation and says, that is the word of God. And then in verse 69, he also beheld the tree of life, which was a representation of the love of God. And he's, he's just going to keep bringing it back that the love of God and Christ is at the center of everything in this vision. And if you want to understand how good things are, you have to have an understanding of the love of God. And if you want to understand how bad things are, you need to have an understanding of how good the love of God is. So I think we should just, for context, in case someone hasn't heard the story, just go over a quick overview of what the vision of the tree of life is. Okay, so starting off in this vision, a man dressed in a white robe tells Lehi to follow him, and he looks around and sees uh, he's in a dark and dreary waste. And he wanders for hours and then prays for the Lord to deliver him. So my point here, and it's, it's really quick, is that I, I feel like this is a really good representation of, of how we should be when it comes to repentance. When we realize 
we're in sin, you want to get out. But the realization that you're in a bad place or that you're in a dark place with nothing for you is is the first step. And so I like how it starts out that he's he's alone. He's separated from good at this at this point in the vision and. It, it starts with a recognition of, of our fallen state and as as we should all recognize that we are not where we should be. And so moving on, after he prays, he sees a tree and the fruits on it, he, he could see that uh, the fruits were desirable and uh, they were to make one happy. He said it's the f- sweetest fruit he had ever tasted and the fruit was white and whiter than anything he'd ever seen. He asks for his family to partake uh, and then he sees a river of water. And Nephi, Sariah, and Sam all take of the fruit and then Laman and Lemuel refuse to go. He sees a straight and narrow path with a rod of iron and many more people start to come. Then a mist of darkness appears and many are lost, but many hold on to the rod of iron. Lehi then also sees this great and spacious building with people who loved worldly things, and but then many people partake of the fruit, but just as many are lost. And that's about it. So to just hop in and talk about what Nephi saw, we already talked about the tree of life that is the love of God. Jason referenced that the rod of iron is the word of God, but there are some other, other things that Nephi sees as well. And so the big third thing is the large and spacious building. And so the large and spacious building is the pride of the world. And as Nephi is, is looking to what it means, he only sees what it what it is after he sees Christ being crucified. And it's something I didn't really realize before. Just like we said earlier with him realizing the love of God came after he's, him seeing Jesus being born into the world. He sees the the pride of the world come in after we we as a humanity have have crucified Jesus. And I think this is really interesting. And I th- I really believe he saw more than he asked for because of his diligence in seeking. But he saw the pride in the world. He sees the meaning of the large and spacious building only after he sees what Christ's death means for us. And I feel like that really applies to each of us when we are doing some outreach or doing our outreach. Our job isn't to show the sinners how gross their sin is. Our job is to show them how beautiful Jesus can be in their life. And by the contrast, they'll see how gross their own sin is. It's it's not our place to show them and say, wow, you're in this large spacious building. Get out, get out, get out. Show them the fruit and let them make their own decision. But I I really liked how he only saw the bad once he had seen the worth of the good that had happened. So in Nephi's experience, just a little bit before he sees the great and spacious building, he's seen the the ministry that Christ has and the ministry of John the Baptist and the 12 apostles and the, the miracles that Christ does. And then in verse 86, to tie it in with the great and spacious building perfectly, Nephi sees the Lamb of God, that he was taken by the people, and he was judged of the world, and I saw him bear a record. That is a comparison of the world standard versus God's standard of what's good and what's bad, because here you're having this perfect person of Christ judged how the world world judges things. And you're going to see that Christ is crucified simply because the world judges that which is good to be, or which is good to be bad and which is bad to be good. And you go on and you see that it ties in perfectly with the great and spacious building because pride is elevating yourself above God, above other people. And in verse 95, it says, 
the this pride is going to be the destruction of all nations, kindreds, tongues, and people that fight against the twelve apostles of the Lamb and against Christ. And it, you know, you have that expression that pride cometh before the fall. It's tied in with Isaiah, or a cross reference here would would simply be Isaiah, and I, I believe it's the fifty fifth chapter of Isaiah where God is talking and He says, you know, my ways are better than your ways. My ways are higher, even if you don't always understand them. I have a better plan. I my standard is better than what the world standard is and what your standard is. Yeah, and in verse ninety one it says, "The angel of the Lord spake unto me again, saying, Behold, the world and the wisdom thereof." And he shows the great and spacious building. And so he's like, this is what the world has to offer, and it's going to fall. And it's also just in Proverbs where pride is before the fall. It says it's a great and spacious building, but it doesn't say how sturdy it is. You know? Yeah. <laughs> that's a good point. That's, that's funny. <laughs> I really, it's been a big kick of mine that I had heard this, and I'd always thought that there are kind of two opposing forces here, and it's, it's love and pride, and I always kind of wondered why it wasn't hate at this point, because I viewed those things as opposites. Um, then I looked a little bit deeper into some other things, some other scriptures, and and I really felt like this was on purpose, that he put pride as the opposing force to love, and it says that pride would be the thing that drives us away from God in, in the end. And and it's not the, the pride that we necessarily think about. It's not saying oh, I'm, I'm better than you, or I am so good-looking, or I'm so smart, or I'm so athletic, or tall, or whatever. Uh, anything you can take pride in, it's, it's like Jason said, it's choosing anything but God in your life. We have an opportunity to choose with our agency. We have an opportunity to choose who sits on the throne of our heart, and pride in scriptural terms is choosing anything except for God. And so, an example of pride that we may not think is pride is that when God says he loves you and that you're worth more than than anything to him, but then you, you choose to believe something else. I see that as being pride as well. And, and it doesn't mean it takes the effect as I, I believe my worth is so much better than what God says I am. No, you could say you know, I believe I'm worthless, but it's not believing God. That's the requirement to have pride. And so in this vision where it's talking about being um, being sucked into the world, and it says some of the people that were lost in the darkness ended up being caught up in, in the pride of the world or in, the, in this big building. Just like Laman and Lemuel, they, they may have started, started in believing what Lehi and Nephi and, and really God was trying to tell them. But ultimately, they, they chose something else to take that throne in their hearts. And, and that's really what, what put them off. I have a scripture from Alma 18, verse 14. It says, See that ye are not lifted up unto pride. Yea, see that ye do not boast in your own wisdom, nor of your much strength. Use boldness, but not overbearance. And I think it's a great reference to the the charity chapter in in First Corinthians, where it talks about charity doesn't boast. Charity and it lists all these different things that charity is. He's telling us not to boast, not to be lifted up in pride, because God is the opposite of that. He does not boast in His strength. He does not. It's not lifted up in pride. All these things. So there's this contrast of really it comes down to are you going to choose God on your heart or are you going to choose anything else and and so that it took on a new meaning to me I guess 
just reading that through with that definition of pride instead of thinking someone's better than someone else. And the great and spacious building being the opposite of, of the tree of life, Lehi also sees some other things in his vision, which I'm going to talk about real quick before we move on because the spirit takes Nephi to another another part in his vision. But the thing that makes the rod of iron so important is that there's that mist of darkness that surrounds the area, which we know, and Nephi describes as the temptation of the world. And then there's a big gulch or big divide between the tree and the great and spacious building, which he describes as the depths of hell. And then there's the the filthy water, which is the filthiness and the sin of the world that he also sees that is is almost a river that has a strong current. And these people, some of the people that cling onto the rod of iron are strong and they get to the tree and they take joy in the fruit. And some of them actually eat the fruit. And then due to the mocking of the great and spacious buildings, people, they put down the tree of the fruit and they, they go astray. And we might get into that a little more, but Coming up here in verse 96, the spirit takes Nephi and he says, you know, look, and you're going to see your seed and also the seed of your brothers. And Nephi looks and he sees the land of promise that they're going to. And he sees people as numerous as the sands of the sea and kind of the history of his people. He sees them fighting. He sees some righteous. He sees a lot of wickedness. And he, he knows Due to the, the first part of his vision, he knows that Christ was crucified and resurrected and um, lives again. And he, he sees Christ coming to his people and giving or ordaining 12 leaders for his people here in the promised land. And then he sees his brother's seed wipe out his seed due to their wickedness. And he sees that there's no good anywhere on the promised land. And he sees the history of the Gentiles, which would not be Jews, right, coming over to America coming over to the promised land and bringing with them a book which came from the Jews, which we know as the Bible. And the Bible proceeds from the mouth of the Jews to the Gentiles, and the Gentiles are bringing that over to his seed, and they are stumbling because of some of the things that have been taken out of the the Bible. And I wanted to touch on that real quick here in verse 171. Nephi sees a great and abominable church come up from the the teachings of, of men, and it corrupts the things which God has put in this this book, this Bible. And he says, there are many plain and precious things taken away from the book, which is the book of the Lamb of God. And I want to say that this isn't just things edited out of the Bible. This is also understanding and teaching that was missed, that was said, no, this isn't right. And then people just interpreted things the wrong way. In verse 175, it says, because of many of the things which are taken out of the gospel, many people stumble, right? Satan has great power over them. And you can see that because we have so many different denominations of churches everywhere that everyone has a different idea of what things mean. Even in the restoration movement, you can see tons of churches too, because we don't agree on everything and we have some issues, but you're going to see a lot of people differ over um, salvation, over our role. And you don't see that so much in the restoration or kind of divided over a few other things, which isn't any better, but, um, we have a better understanding because those plain and precious things have been put back into our gospel um, with the Book of Mormon, with the understanding, and with the Spirit speaking to us today. So in 185, that's when the Book of Mormon comes forth out of the seed of Nephi. We know that Nephi, and he had this record that he kept, and he commands his sons to take care of it and more people to keep abridging and keeping a record of what was happening over in the New World. And when the Gentiles come over, Nephi's people have made this record and we know that Moroni has buried it if you if you read the end of the Book of Mormon. It comes forth with a story that 
Jason and Andrew touched on earlier is Joseph Smith and the Book of Mormon, which is what we're reading from right now. And these records are to the convincing of the Jew, of the Gentile, of the Nephite, and the Lamanite that Jesus is the Christ, is that truth that has been constantly throughout this vision of Nephi and Lehi's. And in 193, it's all about this record, and, and this record along with the original record of the Bible, the, of the Jews, is, is to make known to all kindreds, tongues, and people that the Lamb of God is the Son of the Eternal Father and the Savior of the world, and that all men must come unto him or they cannot be saved. It's Jesus through and through this vision, over and over. And in 195, the words of the Lamb shall be made known into the records of of Nephi's seed and his children and, and their children, and it's going to be combined with the record of the Twelve Apostles, the Bible, and they shall be both established in one. They're one testimony, just like there's one God and one shepherd over all the earth. And then it talks about how Christ is going to manifest himself through these words, through these records. If people are humble and are obedient, they are going to come to Christ and see him for who he is and have an understanding that is so important to us. He also touches on something. I, I talked a little bit about the, the understandings and the teachings that were taken out of the Bible. Um, if you look at the world and, and in history, and people had a lot of trouble with the book of Revelations just because they didn't understand it. The Book of Mormon actually lends some understanding to the book of Revelation. And, and Nephi touches on it here in chapter 3, near the end of it, verse 239, he says, I, I saw all these things that are going to happen, and I'm not going to tell you the future because there's another per I mean, he's t from his perspective, this is the future. But he says there's a cutoff point where I'm not going to tell you what's going to happen because another person's going to write that. And that person is John. And John is writing the book of Revelation, the accounts that are going to happen in the last days, and Nephi is saying that's that's for him to write. And so years before, hundreds of years before Jesus walks the earth, before John writes this, the testimony is being established of what's going to happen before um, the end times. And then John picks it up and he's going to write the book of Revelation, which is a little bit confusing if you don't have, still is confusing even if you, if you have the... Book of Mormon, but a little bit more understanding is given if you're given the precursor to that, the prologue that Nephi writes. It's all about Christ. Two testimonies together give one testimony of Christ. And then the account ends, or the, the vision ends with the Spirit, and Nephi says, I'm not written, but a small part of the things which I saw, but these things are true, okay? And and then he's done, he's tired, he rests really quick, but then he goes in and he, he sees his brothers all talking about what Lehi has told him, and they, they don't understand. They say, Lehi told us this, told us his vision doesn't make any sense to us. And Nephi says, well, here, let me explain. I was shown these things by the Spirit, which takes us to chapter 4. I think in chapter 4, it's really, it's a reoccurring pattern that Nephi tells his brethren something from God, or Lehi tells family something from God. And then verse 4 is their response. They being hard in their hearts, therefore they did not look unto the Lord as they ought. You can see Nephi's reaction to this. He says he was grieved because of the hardness of the hearts and also because of the things which I had seen and knew they must unavoidably come to pass because of the great wickedness of the children. And he knew that because of their hardness of hearts that they would ultimately be a part of that wicked group. You can just see how there was never a point where because of the sufferings Nephi had that he hated his brothers. He understood that he was forgiven as well. It talks about Nephi being a great man, but that doesn't mean he was perfect. I mean, there were, and we talked about last episode, him having to be softened in his heart so that he could believe Lehi to begin with to leave Jerusalem. 
he didn't believe him first off. He he wasn't perfect and he realized that. He realized he had been forgiven by God and he realized that he wasn't deserving of the love God gave him. And so he knew that he should give that same love to his brothers, even though they had beat him several times, tied him up several times, and will continue to do so. When they reject God, it hurts him. And I think that's a really important quality that we should all strive to have is, is that sometimes we're a little bit too much like Jonah. You know, we go, we're, we're called to Nineveh and his people are easier to talk to. Uh, and then we go to a place like Nineveh where you don't want to go at all. And God's like, well, you need to tell him you love him and that I love him. And Jonah's like, I don't want to. And that's not, uh, he was, he was a prophet of the Lord, but it's almost to that verse. Like, um, you can, you can have the faith to move mountains, but if you don't have love, you're nothing. Uh, and Nephi has this love, and that's the love we should be striving to have. More like Nephi, less like Jonah. Yeah, and Nephi says, you know, did you ask the Lord? And six verses later in verse 10, he says, we don't because the Lord doesn't make such things known unto us. And I talked a little bit about how they believed, right? They believed their father, but they didn't have the hearts to understand why they were doing what they were doing. And it's evident again here, the Lord doesn't make the things known to them. And Nephi says, well, are you keeping the commandments? And and you're going to perish because of the hardness of your hearts. It goes back to the greatest commandment, or actually goes forward, because at this point, Christ hasn't said this to anyone. He hasn't been on the earth yet. But it goes to that, to that greatest commandment, that love is what all the commandments, all the laws of the prophets hang off of. They, they don't love their brethren. And you saw it in Lehi's vision when Nephi... And Sam and Sariah would eat of the fruit, but Laman and Lemuel would not. They would not take part of that wonderful gift that was the love of God and Christ being in their life. And that's one of the reasons why they don't they don't see the Spirit of the Lord witness to them these things. I think Laman and Lemuel are a perfect example of our time at this point because they are uh, the definition of instant gratification. If God isn't blessing them directly in that moment, they're not on his side. And they say here, he won't, like you said, the the Lord isn't making these things known unto us. Then Nephi's like, well, are you doing what you need to to get those answers? And they're like, no, why would we do that? I just want him to make it easy for me and, and tell me what to do. And so I can just do it right then. And he's like, no, 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 no. You're in this for the relationship and not, not just to get the bonuses. And you see this in when they leave as well is that they um, they may have believed and <laughs> like you said earlier he gave them a choice to go back and they seemed like they believed and they were angry because from their perspective it was like Nephi was saying well you can go back and be destroyed if you want to and they're like we know we can't do that we know we can't we're just angry at God because that's not what we want and they were placing they believed God, but they were placing something else, their wants above God's wants, and they were putting their righteousness above his own. I think that's the key part here is is that they ultimately didn't care what God had for them, even though it was what's best, and, and they didn't realize that. They, they just were like, well, what do I want right now? I'm hungry, so if God isn't giving me food, I'm not on his side. In contrast to the instant gratification that they have, Lehi and Nephi love them and are worried about their eternal state because they were shown 
some of the things of judgment and hell and heaven and all that. And it says that kind of at the end, but they're just worried for their eternal salvation. They, they care more about that. You don't really see them complain that Laman and Lemuel are rebelling per se. It's more of a why aren't you following what God wants us to do? It's it's something much bigger than just an inconvenience. Their perspective is a lot better. They they don't get their feelings hurt. Like, yeah. yeah. It, it's like when, I think I referenced this last time, is that when Nathan comes to, to David and he realizes, David realizes what he's done with Bathsheba, he says, against thee only have I sinned. And he realized that his relationship with God was was what really mattered. I mean, like that that was the ultimate sin that he had caused the divide between him and God. And even though the that he had done a terrible wrong to Bathsheba and obviously to her husband, that the ultimate wrong was the the tear between their relationship. And, and Nephi and Lehi get that. I love this quote along those same lines: "Is that no one has sinned more against me than I have sinned against God." That is way greater than uh, I need forgiveness for that way more than anyone needs my forgiveness. And and Laman and Lemuel didn't realize that. That's why they were angry so often. And and Nephi and Lehi did. Yeah, they were just upset that they had to leave and do what they didn't want to do. <laughs> it's very temporal. And and moving forward, after Nephi talks to them about oh, you need to be faithful, you need to keep the commandments. He gives them the explanation that they had been sitting around talking about he he tells them about the spirit of the lord and how that spirit was the same spirit that was in their fathers and we know in the book of jacob it talks about the parable of the olive tree or the parable of zenos the prophet who gave it and it's that same father that's who i i believe it's referring to because he goes on and he talks about the branches of the olive tree and 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 how their seed which is now a branch of the house of Israel is going to get grafted back in. And he tells them all about the plan that God has for him. And so then he goes on and tells them the meaning of Lehi's dream. And so in verse 36, they're asking him and they say, you know, what does the tree mean? He says, it's a representation of the tree of life. And what's the rod of iron mean? And he tells them it means the word of God and you need to hearken unto it. You need to hold on to it. And if you do, you'll never die. He gives a, a really short answer, you know, probably in real life. He was expounding these things, which he had seen to them. But in his writing, he just is telling us that he told him and he sums it up. He sees the water, which is filthiness. And there's that awful gulf, which separates the wicked from the tree of life and also from the saints of God and also sees just different things. And he's explaining to them the vision and he wraps it up with a message of the kingdom of God, the same message that that Christ taught. Um, They cannot dwell in the kingdom if they are filthy, if they are sinful, because the kingdom of God can't be filthy, right? It has to be a clean. And so Nephi just goes on and he is is encouraging them, begging them basically to repent. He wants them to be dwelling in the kingdom of God because otherwise the justice, which they have already kind of got a taste of in their wickedness and in their chastisement of disobedience, they rebel against Nephi. That justice that they've got a little bit of taste of is going to separate them from God, and they're going to be in a place of extreme pain and wickedness. And he says that this gift, Nephi wraps it up on a high note, though. He says this gift, that fruit which our father talked about, and which he just explained is the love of God, is the most precious thing and the greatest gift that God could give. And thus I speak to my brethren. Amen. That wraps up chapter 4. Do you guys have any other thoughts on, on the vision itself and what Nephi and Lehi saw? 
So the only thing other the only other thing that I had was in the order that Lehi saw some things, and it was interesting to me um, because when I envisioned this vision that he had, you know, you see the tree and you see this straight and narrow path, and you see the rod of iron, but it's not it's not the order that he sees them, and he sees the tree, and then he tastes of it, and then he looks for his family because, like we said, that love that God has for us is selfless. It's, it's giving to others, and, he, and as soon as he tastes of it, he wants to give. He wants to share it with others. So he looks at, towards his family, and he sees Nephi, Sam, and Sariah, and he beckons them to come to him with a loud voice, it says, and just shows his confidence in, in what he had. It shows uh, that we should be having that same confidence in, in, in the gospel that we have as well and the worth that it is to people. But he doesn't even see the, the rod of iron until Laman and Lemuel refuse to come. It reminds me of a, a verse from the second book of Timothy coming from chapter 3, uh, verse 16. It says, And all scripture given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, and in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect through thoroughly furnished into all good works. And so we see the purpose of the scripture that we have here is he says for correction, for doctrine and for instruction. And, and some people, and, and before I say this, I, I want to put a little, little note out there that I'm not lessening the worth of, of the Bible or Book of Mormon or Doctrine and Covenants. And they are so very valuable to us. And like Jason said, they most complete work of the word of God that we have but I think it's important that we not look to the Bible for salvation. In our walk with God, it, the ultimate goal is the fruit, you know, on the tree, and it's not the rod of iron. Many of those people, I believe he saw on the path, probably were clinging to the word, word of God, the rod of iron, but not moving. And, and that's not what God wants us to do. He wants us to use it, but as a tool to get closer to him. And so... I think it's just a little interesting that he didn't say specifically that Nephi, Samus, Raya didn't use the word of God. Again, not to lessen its worth, but God doesn't want a middleman in our relationship with him. He, No matter how good the middleman is, he doesn't want one. Uh, the only one that, that is acceptable is Christ, and, and he is God. So, uh, well, yeah. in, that, in that same chapter of Timothy, in that third one, it, it says... He t- Paul is describing, you know, there's there's people that are ever learning and never never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. And we know that the truth represent or is Christ. Christ is the truth, and that goes hand in hand with people. If you can you can memorize and know every part about the vision that Lehi had and Nephi's interpretation of it, but unless you understand that Christ is the greatest reward and apply that in a manner in your life in which you're living like it is, then you're never able to come to a knowledge of the truth and, and you're you're missing the mark there. And I, I love the way it talks about that because they're, these people are ever learning of the scriptures. Like I envision people <laughs> relating it back to the vision. I, I uh, see in my mind people going up and down on the path, just holding onto the rod, familiarizing themselves with how it feels, how heavy it is in this place, how it's shaped in this place. And they're just, they're learning everything they can about the rod. And that's fantastic. But they're only learning because they just want to learn about the rod. I mean, that's not about the goal that they're they're traveling towards. So Jason, do you have any other thoughts on chapters two, three, and four of First Nephi? I guess just to summarize, Nephi's interpretation especially shows us that the story of Christ and this vision 
are very much intertwined. You can't have one without the other. And it shows the perfect love of God by bringing up Christ with this vision and having that tree and the fruit. We just have to remember that the most important thing is to actually get to the fruit. And like Andrew said, don't just hold on to the rod and not move anywhere forward. The end goal is having that relationship with Christ. And and it goes into some of the eternal life aspects of that. But uh, we didn't get too much into that. God's looking out for us and he's given us a very good guide on what to do. And there's a lot of stuff we didn't touch on in the vision. And maybe we'll come back to that at a future episode or or next time even. But uh, I want to thank you guys for listening and, and we look forward to getting to chapter five. God bless you the rest of your day.